It's tragic, really. Shirley, are you here? We all have a story. We are contacting 911 for you. A dark secret wrapped in emptiness and regret. Quite frankly, I'm glad I did it. You know. They took her life. They just can't prove it. The Toll. I'm Nancy Simpson. Similar to Haley Owens. Something will come up, especially like when Haley Owens disappeared. It's pretty rare that we have a child picked up off the street. Haley Owens is a prime example. You know, Haley Owens, when that happened, the same thing. That doesn't happen in Springfield. Well, you know, to us that's been here all of our lives, we have seen it happen before. We've talked about her before. Ten-year-old Haley Owens, who was abducted, raped, and murdered in Springfield, Missouri in 2014. The man who grabbed her off a street, pulling her into his vehicle, was a stranger to the girl and her family. Haley was taken just a few blocks from where Shirley Jane was supposedly pulled into a car, and both are just down the street from the radio station where I work. When you ask people who have been around here for most of their lives, they bring up both, Shirley Jane and Haley Marie. Both were young, 9 and 10, and both were pulled into a vehicle while walking home. At least that's the theory detectives worked on for more than four decades ago in Shirley's case. So close, in proximity, in age, both fourth graders. Only we know who Haley's monster is. No bones about it. Craig Michael Wood. Craig Wood was a teacher's aide and an athletic coach at a K-8 through school in northern Springfield. He'd been there for many years. His parents... Highly regarded, his dad, Jim, a theology teacher at a Catholic high school, married to Jeannie, half a century. Solid family with deep roots. Wood, through his defense lawyer, would later admit to being high on meth when he sought out someone to take, finding Haley walking along Lombard Street, the same street Shirley started her fateful journey on more than four decades earlier. A pause here to explain something. When I started out, this story was going to be about Shirley and the few coincidences we had along the way. But it's also now about my stories intertwined in this series. It wasn't by design, at least not at first. That happens when you've been a news reporter in your community for 20 years and embedded in the area for much longer than that. You have stories. I would allude to something in this piece, something that happened to me, and then Jay, the producer, would say... I want to hear more about that. And I'd tell him. He's pushed me this whole way into weaving in my stories as they pertain to the toll. And so here we are. If the main goal is to shed more light on the murder of Shirley Jane Rose and making this very old case more interesting with some of my stories, then so be it. I just wanted to make it clear that this was actually not my vision when we first started. Haley Owens, 10 She'd been home from school that day, a sick day, but started feeling better and headed to a friend's house. On her way, Craig Wood pulls his tan pickup over, sitting on the edge of the street. Neighbors would testify they had seen him circling the area, and he asked Haley where Springfield Street was. She was looking down on her phone, half paying attention like kids do. The girl said she didn't know, and Wood said, Hey, come here a minute. She got closer to the truck. Court papers say he then lunged out of the vehicle, grabbed the girl with his left hand, and threw her into the truck like a rag doll. That was from witnesses. Yes, there were witnesses. Plenty. One woman was in her garage, on the phone as this played out. She was able to get a license plate number and call 911. 
I was sitting in the newsroom that evening getting ready for the 5 o'clock news when I heard the call over the scanner. Stranger abduction. Parental abductions, no joke. I know for parents who have gone through that, but stranger abductions are so rare. The timeline shows that would have been at 448. There was a description put out very quickly and a license plate. I put them both on as breaking news at the top of the hour, 5 o'clock. I felt this call was different. The urgency on the scanner, different. From the KTTS 24-hour news center, this is Nancy Simpson. KTTS breaking news this hour. Police are working a possible abduction. This is in the 4200 block of West Lombard. Uh, This vehicle took off southbound off of Golden. Witnesses say a man in a tan Ford Ranger snatched a girl, dragged her into the passenger seat. She was about 10 to 12 years old and was texting at the time when he called her over there. Police are still trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Plates, we have them as 1YS454. So that's what uh, police are doing in the 4200 block of West Lombard. They are looking for this tan Ford Ranger this hour. Well, another breaking news we've had... At 6 o'clock, police start hitting social media with a victim name and details. At 7.07 that night, an Amber Alert is finally issued, that delay being a source of contention that was caught up on lawmakers' desks for more than five years. I sat through the preliminary hearing for Craig Wood, the woman who was on the phone and watched as Wood grabbed Haley. She would later testify at the trial. Prosecutors played her 911 tape in court. Heart-wrenching saying, please help her, alluding to the fact that this little girl didn't know him. Please help her, she pleads to the dispatcher. Says the girl is 10 or 12 years old. Michelle testified in court that she was on the phone with the IRS in her garage when she saw Haley walk in front of her house. She didn't know Haley, but was familiar with her, seen her walking in the neighborhood before. And that's when it played out, before her eyes. Michelle was able to call 911 and give that crucial license plate number, the one that would link back to Craig Wood's family and eventually Wood himself. Michelle's husband, Carlos, would testify that February day was a warm one, so he was out raking leaves. He saw this tan Ford pickup pass by four or five times, the driver circling. He saw the girl, the dangerous conversation play out, and the driver open his door and grab the girl as she edged closer and throw her into his truck. Carlos testified he took off running after the truck and yelled, but a drainage ditch stopped him from getting to the vehicle as it sped off. His wife, with tears streaming down her face, says he was just feet away. Springfield Police Chief Paul Williams. A couple witnesses who, who observed it chased the vehicle on foot. Someone else actually got into a car and tried to chase the, uh, follow the vehicle and lost it while calling 911 and, and getting us to respond. So more than one person was involved in trying to stop this, and unfortunately it didn't happen. Detectives were able to track down the license plate to Craig Wood's father, who sent police to Craig's house in Springfield. Wood pulled up in his truck about the same time. Detectives would testify he smelled like bleach and threw a roll of duct tape in the bed of his pickup. He nodded yes when asked if he knew why police were there at his house. He was taken to headquarters for questioning. Once inside Wood's house, police did a sweep. Officers identified themselves. No answer. Just Wood's dog barking. Officers smelled bleach. A fan was running, and they saw a couple of plastic bins. This was down in the unfinished basement. Detectives moved out, wrapped the area in crime scene tape, 
and waited for a search warrant. From the KTTS 24-Hour News Center, this is Nancy Simpson. The police chief says the man suspected of kidnapping and murdering a 10-year-old girl has asked for a lawyer and is not talking. Craig Michael Wood has been arrested on suspicion of murder. Chief Paul Williams says Wood had left the house on East Stanford and was pulling up in that truck they were looking for as police arrived. After contacting the, the suspect and, and and removing him from the scene, they, they did a, a very cursory check of the residence to see if, if they could find anybody. Um, there was, they didn't see anybody at that point that in, uh, in the house at all. Then backed out and did what we're supposed to do, which is uh, contact a, a judge and get a search warrant to actually search the premises after determining there wasn't anybody there that, uh, that we could see that needed our assistance. Ten-year-old Haley Owens was seen struggling with a man in a Ford Ranger on West Lombard. More than one area is being considered a crime scene, including the area around the house where Haley's body was found and a laundromat at National and Elm. As detectives went back in, they headed to the basement where they found the two tubs stacked on top of each other. Inside the bottom one, a trash bag wrapped around a small human body. Haley's mom was not in the courtroom for this testimony, the jury seeing pictures of what detectives found. There was a bullet wound in the back of Haley's head, close range, shot experts would say, a contact wound also present. Now, shock and disbelief for some parents there at Pleasant View Middle School in Springfield. Destiny Gavner says she couldn't believe the news. I'm very sick to my stomach to know that we send our kids to school, you know, to be able to trust these teachers and coaches and things. Gavner says her son would have played football next year for Craig Michael Wood. Grief counselors have been at Westport School in Springfield where Haley was in fourth grade. Principal Gary, too, remembers the 10-year-old as being full of life and caring about others. The excitement the girl had and the care that she had, really the care for life that she had, was amazing. New, new students that were welcomed, in, that, that would come to the classroom, she would welcome with open arms. She would make them her friend. Two says the best advice for parents trying to cope is to hug their children their own kids tonight because no one knows what might happen tomorrow. Rebecca Gatless lives a few blocks down from the home there on Stamford back at the crime scene. She says she returned home to find police vehicles up and down her street. We were just following the story all night at work, you know, praying and hoping that, that she was going to be okay. And when they found him, I just prayed as hard as I could, you know, hoping that, that she was going to be okay. And then, you know, the news this morning, that was that was bad. That that really really upset me because I was I had so much hope. I just broke down into tears that you know this is like 13 houses down from my house and you know you don't think this stuff happens. I mean you see it on the news, but when it's on your street and you've got kids, I have three boys. You you, you have emotions that are just so uncontrollable that I've been up all night. I haven't slept. I just and now I'm out here for no reason, but I just feel drawn to be out here. I don't know. You know, it's very very heartbreaking. We also learned what detectives found in Wood's dresser inside one of the drawers, a purple folder with pictures and stories, disturbing stories, sexual fantasy stories, two of them focusing on having sex with 13-year-old girls. They also find four pictures of young girls, all who attended the school where Wood helped teach and was a coach. Two of the girls had names found in his twisted stories. The girls were interviewed. They say they never felt uncomfortable around the teacher's aid. Wood's defense team did not fight the fact that Wood was the child killer as charged, but rather the point the defense team leaned on was intent. Did he think about and plan, deliberate before taking little Haley? The defense contended this was an impulsive act, suppressed urges fueled by meth, not thought out or planned. 
The defense pointed out that Wood didn't wear a disguise, hide his truck plates, did it in broad daylight, surrounded by witnesses. Impulsive. Surveillance tapes would help detectives piece together what happened after Haley was murdered. Wood is seen buying bleach and drain cleaner. In footage from the police interview, Wood would tell investigators his dog crapped on the basement floor and he needed bleach to clean it up. But the drain got stopped up and that's why he bought the liquid plumber. Wood went back to Walmart for duct tape. He also stopped at a laundromat where detectives found some bedding and his clothes. A small pink shirt and jean shorts were discovered near a strip mall by the man's home. Springfield is remembering the life of a little girl cut short eight days ago. Folks gathered at Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield to say a final goodbye to 10-year-old Haley, Haley Owens, who was abducted and murdered last week. Standing outside the church on West Republic Road, Shanda Black says a tragic death makes her stop to think about how fleeting life really is. And it just makes us step back and think how quick a life can be taken from us and like how we got to keep our kids safe. Black says even though she'd never met Haley, she now feels like she knows the 10-year-old who captured the hearts of people all over the world. They're subtle, but I hear them. Stutters, the cracks in my voice, rushing through it. Nearly every day I was choking back tears as I gave the news. Five o'clock, good evening. I'm Nancy Simpson. There have been two parks dedicated today at a school attended by a little girl murdered in Springfield this year. One was in her honor. The Parks Board says the playgrounds at Westport School were made possible through a large donation from Betty and Bobby Allison, longtime supporters. The smaller of the two playgrounds there at the school was named after 10-year-old Haley Owens today. Haley's fourth grade teacher choked back tears. We can honor and remember how she strengthened us as a community. Those who knew her and loved her, and even those who didn't know her, will be able to enjoy a place our girl Loved so much. Her stepfather, Jeff Barfield, says he can bring friends and family to Haley's playground. It's going to be a way for us to be able to remember her and keep her memory alive and keep going. The sign has Haley's picture on it and is covered in pink and purple balloons, something Ashley Dodd likes. She has three kids who attend Westport School. She's beautiful. She, she's now a beautiful angel. Three and a half years after her death, Craig Wood went on trial. Prosecutors had to convince a jury, trucked in from many miles away, that Craig Wood deliberated before committing murder. They also needed a unanimous verdict to find him guilty and sentence him to death. The jury was sequestered in a hotel for the length of the trial. I was in the studio, downstairs at the station, recording, when I see my then-co-worker and friend Chase Snyder walking by. I swing open the door and call him into the studio. Because you were there when Haley was taken. Was. And we're going to take, we're going to go back there. You've seen me cry plenty over that story. And I want to talk about being kind of a person who, number one, loved KTTS as a kid, grew up wanting to work here, worked yep. here. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and you're in the newsroom in a moment of, of what, truth? Yeah, you know, I think it's one of those moments where it's weird being on the other side of it. It's kind of like this. It's weird being on the other side of the mic, and it's weird being on the other side of seeing breaking news come apart. It's kind of like when you see severe weather for the first time. It's one thing to be in your car hearing it, and you're you're kind of feeling it from that side. But when you're in kind of the middle of it, and you hear the, the sirens going off and the warning coming across, I think it's the same thing um, when you see breaking news come together. It's very polished when our listeners hear it. But to sit in there and see you having to make real-time decisions about, okay, we don't really know all the details because there's a lot of, especially that time of year, things that come across where it's 
parents panicking so kids missing and it turns out they went next door to play with the neighbor or they went down the street to play at the park and it's over in a couple minutes but it's weird seeing that play out on the other side and and watching someone try to dissect okay is this different is this something else and what did you feel sitting there that day at first i honestly thought it was one of those kind of uh, this is just another probably down street something's going on and then as i stood there for a minute and listened to the scanner traffic with you and watched your reaction i think it was your reaction even more so than the police's that set my guard off because you know knowing that you were someone that had done this for almost 20 years seeing that you were starting to feel like something wasn't right here, really kind of set my alarm off. I think the time that I knew that something was really wrong was when you decided to go on air with it, even though they hadn't issued the Amber Alert. And I knew that if you felt something in your gut after doing this for 20 years, after being a mom and after hearing that scanner traffic, that something wasn't right. How many times have you seen me cry over this story? <laughs> Too many. <laughs> um, it's one of those things that's kind of hit all of us from from every possible angle. It was hard to cover. It was hard to think about after we covered it. A lot of tears by a lot of people over this story. Do you know, we won a national Edward R. Murrow Award, which is the most prestigious in our industry. And to win a national means our boss gets to go to New York and pick up that award. And, you know, there were times when I would go into classrooms, I, I would tour classrooms and talk to kids about my job and what it meant to, to have this job. And there were times I would leave that award here because I didn't want to talk about it. And I didn't want to... I don't want to talk about it. It's weird. It, it's hard to be on both sides of that. You uh, were in the unique perspective of covering the vigil. Did that story go nationwide? I believe so, yeah, because that was the one where they had some of the biker groups that came out. I was a, a college student in the middle of all this, and I remember the night that the search first happened. I mean, I was up probably all night that night. Probably around 11.45 or midnight, we got an email from the PIO for the police department, the public information officer, and she had said something to the effect of, we think we might have a lead on something, we're looking into something, and then it was just kind of quiet overnight until like 5 or 6 o'clock that next morning. And so... The vigil affected me a lot more than I ever anticipated it would have. I had had the high octane side of our business. I always joke that my first day here was you sending me out the door to go cover a, a body in a creek, and um, but there was no real connection to to that story. And I think that a lot of the breaking news stories I covered, it was that way. You had an empathy for what was going on, but you didn't really have a direct connection. It was car crash or a fatal fire. But this story just hits you so hard, especially if you were involved since the beginning. And I think that's what happened at the vigil. By the time you were there and you see a community that came together so strongly, you kind of stop and realize, you know, what your part in all that was. And it, it hits you hard. It's one of the first times I can remember, you know, ever becoming emotional covering a news story. I don't even think pictures do that vigil justice. Talk to me about what that was like. You can kind of imagine the the kind of small town Main Street USA. It's a very narrow street lined with shops and restaurants on both sides. First of all, just the sense of size of you're in the middle of the street because I was shooting photos for the station as well. And you've got just this wall of people coming at you. And um, I think that just that's the first thing that kind of takes you aback is that you just feel surrounded, which is an odd feeling for eight or nine o'clock on a weeknight on a random street. But the second thing that, that really probably stood out to me the most was as they were walking down. So they started at one end of the street and walked to the other down to a footbridge. And as they were walking down the street, everyone kind of stopped talking, stopped their conversations and slowly started to sing a song a cappella. It wasn't anything that was organized or formal. It was just people just kind of naturally started singing it as folks were walking down the street with candlelights. Here you are, like just surrounded on this Main Street USA with hundreds of people that may or may not have ever known this little girl, but were drawn to the story either through being a part of the search or being a part of that community, all of a sudden just coming together and, and singing a song in her honor. And it, it just took your breath away. Do you remember what the song was? I think it was This Little Light of Mine. They were chanting at one point something to the effect of like, this is Haley's Light. 
with the candles that they were carrying down the road. Thousands of people showed up. You couldn't get on that street. It was shoulder to shoulder. Like, you couldn't walk. It's just masses of people as far as you could see. An emotionally charged evening is coming to an end after a candlelight vigil and march in honor of little Haley Owens. KTTS's Mike... 10,000 people from all walks of life all over Springfield show up on Commercial Street. Initially, the Facebook post that kind of set this up expected maybe a few hundred and looks like went way above Chase Snyder is still out there for us tonight. And Chase, I understand that people are still hanging around, just not ready to leave yet. Well, Austin, I've got a second floor uh, vantage point here on Commercial Street right now, and really just an incredible sight. The entire street illuminated by candlelight still is, I would say, several thousand people still on site. And, and this is by far one of the most moving experiences I've had as a news reporter. The crowd here this evening rivaled that of a small city, and I think that really affected everyone here on site. That's why folks lingering around so far and for so long. The entire Springfield community and region Morning here this evening for a 10-year-old little girl whose life was cut so short. With continuing coverage... It was just amazing for a little girl that wasn't tied to a prominent family or tied to a celebrity or anything like that. You know, you think of these kind of reactions for when it's it's somebody that was so well-known within the community. But it's amazing that a little girl that really didn't have that kind of connection to anybody in the community drew this kind of emotional response. Why do you think that was? I think part of it is just the relatability. I think so many people felt some kind of connection, whether it was through a kid of their own or through thinking that this could have easily have happened in our neighborhood. It just it felt so raw to a lot of people. A lot of the child abductions and things that we have in this area are usually related to custody disputes and things like that. It's not something of this magnitude. So I think a lot a lot of people felt this tie to it, that it, it felt more real for them. And I think the other sense of it is, is it, it's a sad, sad story. And I think that people felt a need to show some kind of sympathy for that family as a community. Even if I didn't know you, if I didn't feel that pain personally, I want you to know that you're a part of this community and, and we care about you. And I think that Haley's family saw a lot of that in the days and weeks after things kind of came out. If you've had a family member that's in the hospital, you can drop a meal by or drop flowers by. But what do you do for a family that's had a little girl ripped away from them and there's no real answer? That made it a lot harder, and so I think the, the vigil was a way that folks felt like they could come together and offer a extension of empathy or sympathy. Even in the weeks and, and months later, it was pink and purple ribbons. It was leave your porch light on for Haley. It was still a big rally, it feels like to me, for a community, like you said, who didn't know this little girl. Yeah, no, I think that's true because I mean, I think it says a lot about this community too. And I think in a lot of places, sometimes people would rather just kind of close the page on that part of the story and move on. It's not something that a, a lot of folks want to kind of feel that pain for days or weeks ahead. This community really tried to take and show over a long period of time that we're with her family and we're with her spirit that these kind of things shouldn't happen in, in our town. We all felt terrible that something like this happened in broad daylight to a 10-year-old girl from a man who worked with children. I know I harbored guilt, wishing someone would have heard that initial broadcast I put out and recognized the description of the vehicle and plate. One year after that fateful day for Haley, I invited her mother, Stacy, and stepfather, Jeff Barfield, to the station for an interview. The one-year anniversary, you call it, but you know there's nothing to celebrate here, right? My boss tells Stacy how sorry we are again for her loss and how I have a heavy heart wishing we could have been more help that day. I started crying. Crying. Stacy comes over and wraps her arms around me and tells me, it's okay. How we were all hoping for a different ending and thanked me for trying. Yes, the mother of a murdered little girl is standing in the middle of our newsroom, consoling 
me. I still don't have words to describe that moment. I talked to Jeff on the record about how he was pushing for that legislation called Haley's Law, modifying the Amber Alert system. Jeff says after they were leaving the station, they were headed out to her grave for some quiet time with Haley. Stacy doesn't like to talk to the press. Her words get jumbled and she gets nervous, shy. She struggles with this part, so at this point she lets Jeff do all the talking. Off the record, I ask him about all the money they've received from the community, all those donations. He talks about buying cars for family members, a commemorative car for Haley, and computer equipment he uses to push Haley's law. He says the rest is caught up in red tape with Haley's biological dad. We also talk about how they've both battled addiction, but were both in programs and had worked to better themselves. It's brought us closer together in some ways. The biggest thing that we've learned is just that we're stubborn enough that we can make it through hell and back. We've done the walk too many times. It's just this time, they'll scar the soul a little more. I wish them luck and tell them I'm proud of their commitment to progress. I tell them we buried my dad with his 20-year AA coin and how I knew the battle wasn't an easy one. I take a picture of a bracelet Jeff had made to remember Haley and pictures of Stacy wearing a purple shirt. And it had Haley's name and wings painted on it. So that would have been February. In March, she shows up at the station asking for me. She says she was in the area running errands and wanted to know if I wanted her to grab me anything, you know, to eat or drink. I give her a hug and tell her how sweet she is for thinking of me. She says she's headed to her hometown in the next couple of days and is kind of dreading it. She says people are always asking her if she's okay. No, she says. I'm not okay. I'm never okay. I'm just coping. The next month, right before Easter, she shows up with a tub of candy and another tub of Fig Newton cookies. She says that these treats are for my daughter, who was eight at the time. I take them and thank her. My point here is she is such a kind person. Her heart is good. It's noted that she could turn on the radio any single day and hear me and connect with me in her own way, but my interactions with her were nothing but good. Her life, though, takes more ugly turns. The jury in this case hears all of the evidence, sees all of those pictures. Stacy, Haley's mom's last name at this point, is Herman, not Barfield. She has divorced Jeff. He was indicted on child porn charges. Yes, you heard me right. The entire community took a collective gasp for air and asked the same question. Did he abuse Haley? Authorities say the short answer is no. Haley was not found in any of the images and there was no evidence that linked Jeff to the killer. Jeff Barfield, Haley's stepdad, ended up pleading guilty to sharing images and has been sentenced to seven years in prison. At that hearing, the sentencing hearing, he tried to explain that he was looking at the child porn to make sure there were no photos of his stepdaughter on the internet after her death. The online chats with people who were also attracted to children, Jeff told the judge he was working covertly, trying to gain their trust, learn their identities, and turn all the information over to authorities. He said uploading the images... That was a mistake, an accident, while high on math. The assistant U.S. attorney, not impressed, said Jeff never mentioned all this while he was being investigated, just now as he was learning his fate. Stacy sent me a private message the day he was sentenced. It was filled with a lot of anger, the thought that he'd try to say all this was done out of some sort of research. She was very hurt. 
Back to the verdict in the murder case. Craig Wood was found guilty of first-degree murder for killing little Haley. What happened next shocked many. The jury came back without a unanimous decision on whether to sentence Wood to death or give him life in prison. In Missouri, this decision would be left up to the judge. And that decision wouldn't come for another couple of months. I'd like to note here that the judge in the case is Thomas Mountjoy. He was the assistant prosecutor mentioned during Shirley Jane Rose's case so many years ago, offering a deal to people who knew who killed Shirley. The four-day trial in Haley's case was in November 2017. On a Thursday that following January, Judge Mountjoy denies a couple of motions, one for a new trial and another one calling judge-imposed death sentences unconstitutional. Then he sentences Craig Wood to die for his crimes. We start with KTTS breaking news today. The man convicted of abducting and murdering 10-year-old Haley Owens in Springfield has been sentenced to death. Judge Thomas Mountjoy had addressed the first order of business, which was whether Craig Wood should receive a new trial. That motion was filed by Wood's attorney in December, saying his client didn't receive a fair trial. A jury did find Wood guilty of first-degree murder. He's, uh, he grabbed Haley off a street near her house, took her to his home, raped her, and shot her in the head. Wood was 49 at this point. Stacy leaned on a lead detective, then later walked over to Wood's mother and hugged her. They talked for a while. The two families had been working on Haley's Law together, as we've talked about, trying to speed up Amber Alerts. Craig's dad, Jim, was in our newsroom talking about how if he had gotten an Amber Alert on his phone that evening, he would have recognized the description and plate and maybe, just maybe, Haley could have been saved. He was eating dinner three minutes from Craig's house. Maybe the outcome could have been different reached out to the Barfields and told them that we were supportive of them and we'd like to work together with them on Haley's Law. And if we can get Haley's Law implemented, maybe we can prevent some of these situations. Even after Haley's stepdad was indicted for child porn, Stacy and the Wood family traveled to Missouri's capital to try and get changes to that alert system. Grace. In mid-2019, it finally happened. Five-plus years later, Governor Parson signed Haley's Law, which streamlines the Amber Alert process. It does away with faxes, phone calls, and handwritten paperwork. Officers can now radio in the information, which is then sent out through email and digital notifications. Something good out of something so bad. Stacy's road before and after this one tragic event, her daughter Haley being murdered, of course it's been hard. She'll start a new Facebook page and ask me to be her friend. I wait a couple of weeks and then click to check in. It's rarely good news. Her new boyfriend broke up with her the night before Wood's trial started. They got back together, broke up, back together a few times. She got thrown out of her place, though, and had nowhere to go, was staying with this guy in a trailer. Accused drug dealers busted in with bandanas over their face, yelling, "'You're going to pay for what you did earlier today!' And they shot and killed the boyfriend in the chest as he was begging for mercy with Stacy right beside him. There she is, back in the news, in the middle of that mess. With every passing month, it doesn't seem to get any better. I hope she turns it all around and finds real love and some resemblance of peace. That's tough. Next time on The Toll.
you think of her walking out there about death some night and someone just picking her up and taking her. That's still a horrifying today. I have a deep yearning that they can find out and, and get the case solved. I'll talk to anybody. If it means bringing this thing to closure, yeah, I'll talk to anybody. This is not that big of a town. Odds are our paths have crossed. Help others feel the toll. Like, share, subscribe. The Toll Podcast, The Path Back Home, is a production of The Toll, LLC. Co-creator and host, Nancy Simpson. Co-creator and executive producer, Jay Lashley. Technical producer and audio editor, Kat Morgan Gaines. Marketing manager, Pamela Shelby. Web design and digital creative director, Shelby Powers. Technical analyst for digital strategy, Christina Oswald. Special thanks to Eliza Blackwood, transcriptionist, and Austin Robertson, voiceover. Original theme by Jay Lashley. Additional music by Firstcom. Reproduction or use of any part of this podcast without the express permission of the Toll LLC is prohibited. Get updates at our website, thetollpodcast.com. <laughs>